It doesn't take a genius to figure out that we live in a very hurting and broken world. Look what's going on around us. You have the war in Russia and Ukraine. You have earthquakes that just happened over in Turkey, where approximately 22,000 people have been accounted for dead. You have tornadoes, you have famines, sickness and disease. Yet in the midst of all of this, we have Jesus' words in John 10, 10. It says this, The thief comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that you may have life and that you may have it abundantly. The word abundance is the Greek word parasos, which actually means super abundant in quantity and superior in quality. It's life beyond measure. Yet when I look at a lot of the church and the Christians today, I don't see that abundant life operating either in the church or in the people that attend church. Or maybe, should I say, I don't see the life and the abundant life of God in those who call themselves Christians. I'm going to tell you that one of the number one reasons is this. They have denied the very person who would guide them into the abundant life that Jesus promised. In part two of Real Christianity, we discuss the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Well, hello once again. Thank you for tuning in to The Vine. I'm your host, Sean McNeeny. And today we are continuing in part two of Real Christianity. Last week we spoke about what it means to be a Christian. And I know I laid a lot of information out there, a lot of scripture. And I just kind of want to give an overview uh, or a brief summary of what I discussed in my last podcast in terms of what it means to be a Christian. Before I get into the meat of today's um, teaching on the infilling of the Holy Spirit. So to summarize, basically, God created man and woman, Adam and Eve. Uh, God told them not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They did, uh, because they were deceived by Satan. And in doing so, they died. And that word die means they just basically died spiritually first, meaning the life and nature that was in them. When God breathed in them the, the his breath of life, that life and nature of God that was in them, immediately ceased and was no longer available to them until the time of Christ. And so from that time on, they died. And they died, meaning dying, and they died, they continued to die until they were dead. And then Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse 3, and he's talking to Nicodemus, he says, Answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Folks, without Christ, you can't even see the kingdom, let alone go there, if you don't have Christ. I am claiming, right now on this podcast, that Jesus is the only way, the only way to the Father in heaven. There is no other way. So Paul sums it up pretty good in Romans chapter 5. and verse 12, he says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So meaning from Adam until the time of Christ, everyone born physically was born spiritually dead, but physically alive. And so that is the reason why we need to become born again, born anew, born from above, born again with God's life and nature, the same nature that was in Adam and Eve before they fell, and the same life and nature that was in Christ while he was on the earth. In verse 17, it says, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, but much more will those who receive the abundant abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. We are called to reign in life through Jesus Christ. And that life and nature is only available 
through Jesus Christ. In that reigning in life, we can correlate to the abundant life that Jesus promised in John 10.10, which is by his Spirit. And so this leads us into today's teaching on the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to be as long-winded as I was in my first podcast, because this I need to break down into parts. And so in doing so, I'm going to be very, uh, very meticulous in how I bring this forward, because this is probably the most divisive subject in the body of Christ. This is probably why we have so many denominations. And I want to tell you right now, denominations is not God's plan. If you look in the book of Acts, there was one church. Now we've got, I don't know how many churches, different denominations, who claim to be part of the the same church. But let me tell you something. The majority of denominations today have, in fact, denied the gifts and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to name them. You just can figure it out for yourself. Do your own study. Even denominations which were born out of the Azusa Street Revival in the early 1900s, even those churches themselves have lost and have ignored the main subject of the reason why they even became a denomination in the first place, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, in the Pentecostal churches here in Canada, the majority of them do not preach the necessity to be baptized in the Holy Spirit once somebody gets born again. I think one of the main reasons is because of the fear of man. They're afraid they're going to lose people. And, you know, because of their religious traditions, their religious teaching, uh, well, I don't know why, but the Holy Spirit is the power for the believer to live a powerful lifestyle or that, that abundant life that Jesus promised. It's only available by his Spirit. Okay, enough of me rambling on. Let's get on with it. So Jesus foretold two events that would be available to all people once he completed his work on the earth. One of these events is, number one, the born-again experience. The other is the infilling of the Holy Spirit. If you look in John chapter 14 and verse 16 to 17 and also John 16 and 7, I'm just going to read those here out of my Bible. Uh, These are very foundational and these are the words of Jesus. And so we need to heed the words of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so in John chapter 14, look at what it says in verse 16 and 17. It says, Jesus saying, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, a paraclete, a comforter, counselor to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Let me explain that very briefly. At the time of Jesus, the Holy Spirit was not released to be in people until after the work, the finished work of the cross of Christ. So at that point in time, the Holy Spirit was with them the same way that the Holy Spirit was with the Israelites when they were walking through the wilderness. Now, once Christ's finished work on the cross, the Holy Spirit can be in us. So that's the promise that he was referring to here. Now let's go to John chapter 16 and let's look at uh, verse 7. Jesus again saying, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the Helper, again, Holy Spirit, Comforter, Counselor, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So notice closely that Jesus describes these events differently. The born-again experience has to do with a spiritual change in the individual. The infilling of the Holy Spirit has to do with an experience with the third person of the Godhead, wherein the Holy Spirit enters and abides in a person. So according to the way that Jesus refers to these two events, They are not the same and take place separately from each other. Although a person can be born again and filled with the Holy Spirit at the same time, they are not the same event. 
Now, other passages of Scripture describe the infilling of the Holy Spirit as being a separate event from a subsequent event to being born again. For example, if you look in Acts chapter 8, uh, I'm just going to read a portion in Acts chapter uh, 8. I'm going to start in verse 4 very briefly. And it says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did, Philip was an evangelist, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of men who had them. And many were so paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Now verse uh, skip over to verse 14. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when they laid their hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit. Now look over in Acts chapter 19. Now, by the way, it's a period of 20 years between Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 19. So let's read from uh, verse 1 to verse 6 in Acts chapter 19. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. The Holy Spirit plays an active role in a person being born again. If you read in Titus um, chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, it says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. So notice closely that this verse describes the Holy Spirit as performing a renewing work in a person, not an infilling work. So the Greek word translated here for renewing is anakinosis, and it means this, to renew qualitatively in that person is different from the past. In essence, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from sin and the sin nature, and the Holy Spirit performs the work necessary in which the new nature is released into us. Now, as I described earlier, and I'll describe it briefly once again, but with Scripture, the Bible is very specific about what it takes to be born again. If we read in Romans chapter 10, and I start at verse 9, it says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified or unto righteousness, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Unless a person meets these requirements, he or she is not a Christian. Understanding this enables us to know when the disciples were born again. Reading out of Luke chapter 24 from 36 to 49. 
And they, the disciples, were talking about these things. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that is, I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still believed for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of a broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understanding the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending you the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power or endued with power from on high. It is unmistakably clear that the disciples were convinced that Jesus had been raised from the dead, and that he was indeed the Savior of the world. Therefore, we see that the disciples met the requirements to be born again. Reading from John chapter 20, verses 19 to 23, he says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. The events described in this passage take place at the same time as the events in Luke chapter 24 that that I just read you. It's also the same as Mark chapter 16, verses 9 to 14. So here in John, we see the first record in Scripture of people believing on Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit enabling them to be born again. Jesus then told them that they would be filled with the Holy Ghost. So if John chapter 20, verses 22 was describing the moment that they were filled with the Holy Spirit, Jesus would never have spoken of, quote-unquote, another experience with the Holy Spirit. So if we choose to allow the Bible to be our standard and accept without question what it says, There is absolutely no other conclusion that can be arrived from other than the fact that being filled with the Holy Spirit is an event that takes place after a person is born again. On the day of his resurrection, Jesus appeared to the disciples and others who were with him. Now in John chapter 20, verses 19 to 20 that I just read you, there was 11. In Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 14, there was two more. And then if you jump over to verse 33 to 36, it says uh, the term with them. So he gave them all instruction to go to Jerusalem and wait until they were endued with power. Now, the scripture does not clearly indicate how many were gathered together at this time. Jesus just simply repeated this instruction. So they were in Jerusalem. If you look at Luke 24, uh, Acts chapter 1, um, they were in Jerusalem. If uh, They were also outside of Jerusalem. If you look at Acts chapter 1, verses 12 to 6. But once again, Scripture does not clearly indicate how many people were there. At some point in time, about 120 people had gathered together in Jerusalem. So if you look in the book of Acts, chapter 1, around 15, it's possible that they all had been at the Mount of Olives, 
or uh, maybe what Jesus said had been shared with someone who weren't a witness to Jesus' ascension. One way or another, all of these people had become aware of Jesus' command to wait together in Jerusalem in order to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. So on the day of Pentecost, they were still all together and were filled with the Holy Spirit. When this event took place, Peter preached to the multitude that had gathered as a result of the disciples being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, after they had heard this sermon, they asked what they should do. Now, Peter did not just simply tell them, oh, just look to Jesus. No, he said they should look to Jesus and that they would receive the Holy Spirit. Now, the reason he said this is because being born again is not what had attracted the multitudes. It was a manifestation of the power of the Holy Spirit. So when Peter preached, there was absolutely no question in his mind that being filled with the Holy Spirit was available to all who accepted Jesus Christ. If you read the account of Philip in Acts chapter 8, he went to Samaria and he preached the gospel. The people saw the demonstration of God's power and gave heed to what Philip preached. Now they accepted Jesus as Savior and were baptized in water. Then Peter and John went to Samaria and ministered to those who had accepted Jesus. And the result was that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So in Acts chapter 10, Peter was sent by God to the household of Cornelius to preach the gospel. Now, these people were already seeking God. You can look at uh, Acts chapter 10, verses 1 to 2, and then skip over to uh, Acts chapter 10, verses 22 to 27. So while Peter was preaching, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is the third time recorded in Scripture where Peter was a witness to everyone who had gathered together being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, skip over to Acts chapter 19, which is another 20 years later. Paul goes to Ephesus, and he ministers to them, about receiving the Holy Spirit, and since they were believers, and after teaching them, he laid hands on them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So when this event took place, Peter preached to the multitude that had gathered as a result of the disciples being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's Acts chapter 2, verses 6, and verse 14. After they heard the sermon, they asked what they should do. Peter didn't just simply tell them, you know, go look to Jesus. No, he said to them, they should look to Jesus, and that they would receive the Holy Spirit. The reason he said this is because being born again is not what had attracted the multitudes. It was a manifestation of the power of the Holy Spirit. And when Peter preached, there was absolutely no question in his mind that being filled with the Holy Spirit was available to all who accepted Jesus. If you read the account of Philip in Acts chapter 8, he goes to Samaria and preaches the gospel. The people saw the demonstration of God's power and gave heed to what Philip had preached. They accepted Jesus as Savior and were baptized in water. Then Peter and John went to Samaria and ministered to those who had accepted Jesus. What was the result? They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, Acts chapter 8, verses 14 to 17. In the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 10, we see uh, Peter was sent by God to the household of Cornelius to preach the gospel. Now, these people were already seeking God. But while Peter was preaching to them, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, this is the third time recorded in Scripture where Peter was a witness to everyone who had gathered together being filled with the Holy Spirit. Skip over to Acts chapter 19, 20 years after uh, Acts chapter 10. Paul goes to Ephesus, and he ministers to them about receiving the Holy Spirit since they were believers. After teaching them, he laid hands on them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible also reveals that what Paul taught the Ephesians about being filled with the Holy Spirit is what he would have taught in all the churches where he ministered. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 17. 
But Paul also explained that this doctrine was a mandatory teaching in the body of Christ. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1-3, to 3, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by commandment of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach anything different. Skip over to chapter 6, verses 3 to 5. If anyone teaches a different doctrine that does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Now go back over to Romans chapter 16. I'm going to read actually here in verse 17. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. As I've shared repeatedly in Scripture, there is a pattern of all Christians being filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible gives the understanding that being filled with the Holy Spirit was an expectation on the part of the apostles. There is no record anywhere in the New Testament of only a percentage or a certain group of Christians being filled with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist taught that Jesus would baptize people with the Holy Spirit. And I'll read out of Luke chapter 3, verse uh, 16. It says this, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water. But he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Scripture declares that Jesus never changes. In Hebrews 13, verse 8, it says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. This means that he still must be baptizing people with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, the indication from the Bible is that being filled with the Holy Spirit is available to all Christians with no exceptions whatsoever. Likewise, there are no scriptures which can be correctly used to teach that being baptized with the Holy Spirit is not for everyone. Additionally, there is nothing in the Bible which states that the infilling of the Holy Spirit would ever cease to be available to Christians at any point in history. Now, does God require all Christians to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? As I previously covered, a person must be born again before being filled with the Holy Spirit. See, Scripture has proven that being filled with the Holy Spirit is a separate event to being born again. The first and foremost need in a person's life is to be born again. As already read in John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus said that a person must be born again or he will never enter God's kingdom. No one will enter heaven unless his or her name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, the emphasis in Scripture is that a person needs to accept Jesus as Savior. Once a person is born again, he or she can then be filled with the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is similar to being born again. A person chooses to receive Jesus Christ as personal Savior, and a Christian chooses to be filled with the Holy Spirit. God does not force either event upon a person. Whether or not to accept being filled with the Holy Spirit is totally at the discretion of the individual. 
In Acts chapter 1 and 2, the disciples chose to go to Jerusalem and wait to be filled with the Holy Spirit, as Jesus had instructed in the previous scriptures I already read, in Luke chapter 24, verse 49, and also if you look at the Acts chapter 1, verses 45 and verses 8. So in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, when, when the people scream out to Peter and say, What must we do to be born again? Jesus instructs the people to repent, be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 19, verses 1 to 7, we had already referenced that, but Paul asks the Ephesians if they had received the Holy Ghost since they believed. In all of these cases, it was a matter of choice on the part of the individual whether or not to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There was nothing in Scripture which says that a person must be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to go to heaven. However, the repeated pattern in Scripture is that Christians should receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In fact, being filled with the Spirit is actually presented as an expectation. And this is exactly what the church is failing to do in this day and age. Pastors and leaders of congregations are doing the sheep a major disservice when they are not allowing or teaching the fact that these people need this second work of grace. Because the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the second work of grace, is the dunamis power that enables the Christian to walk out and live out a powerful Christian lifestyle. Well, I'm going to stop right there. I've already established the qualifications in receiving the Holy Spirit. I've discussed the disciples and the Holy Spirit. I've laid the foundation that all Christians uh, have this available to them. And I've also established the fact that God requires this of all believers. Next time on part two of being filled with the Holy Spirit, I'm going to be discussing the purpose of being filled with the Holy Spirit, the proof of being filled with the Holy Spirit, and I'm also going to give a sample prayer of how to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit if you've not already done so. So until then, be like the Bereavians. Search the scriptures that this be so, because God confirms His word with signs following. I'll see you here, there, or in the air. Be blessed.